You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Hey, morning, Arif. It is so good to be with you all on this uh, gorgeous, warm, sunny. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, no, that was that was yesterday or the day before. uh, Winter is back. Um, And Karen, I think you wanted to say a word about uh, about some of our care ministries, right? Yeah. Well, we have a whole. The month of March is going to be uh, the month we're going to really. Uh, focus on the word caring and uh, we're going to be really upping the profile of all of the we care ministries and that includes food trains and rides and um, some surprises that are going to be coming for families and some really cool cool um, opportunities for people to follow up um, on their dreams of caring for others and we also need more people to be care companions so this is a little pitch we're going to be doing a big service focusing on the care companions and our care ministries on March 28th and I just want to let you know if you feel a call to journey with someone in our congregation if you have time to make a few phone calls once a week or every couple of weeks to check in on someone um, one day you may need that kind of check-in too and uh, maybe you want to extend that hand to someone else doesn't take a lot of time and effort we meet once a month and do training and support with one another so you're never alone and the minister is always there to back you up on difficult situations so uh, we invite you to contact me um, or Reef if you're interested in becoming a care companion. Hey, thanks, Karen. I really, I really appreciate that. What do you say we uh, we go ahead and get started here, folks? Yeah, let's go. All right. So, friends, as you are coming in, I want to say again that my name is Reverend Reef Mamdani. I am one of the ministers of the church here. I want to I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone who is joining us this morning. It is so good to be with you. Whether you're joining us live whether you're watching later on YouTube or listening to the podcast, we are so glad that you're with us. Here at First Universalist, our lives are grounded in the universalist spirit of love and hope as we give, receive, and grow. Together, we listen to where love is calling us next. We welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each human heart. And with humility, compassion, and courage, we act for justice in the world. We do all of this with a commitment to dismantling white supremacy culture and all forms of oppression so that we might build the beloved community here and now where we all might thrive and flourish. This is who we are. This is the life of faith that we invite you into. In addition to Sunday morning worship, we gather every week, Wednesdays, Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. for a 30-minute service. If you're brand new or just checking us out, we hope that you will join us for First Step. This is offered every first and third Sunday right after the worship service. First Step is a great opportunity to share what brings you to First Universalist, learn the basics of Unitarian Universalism, learn the basics of First Universalist Church, and all this in a brief, about 40-minute session. We are so happy to welcome you and connect you to where love might be calling you here. Plan on joining us next week for First Step after the service. One last thing. We are about to enter a month on caring 
as Reverend Karen was just saying, and we will be talking a lot more about the caring ministries of the church. But right now, there are a number of people who are receiving meals from the church because they're recovering from surgery, they're working to change, they're, they're working with some change in their health condition, or otherwise need some support with their meals. If you like to cook for folks, if feeding people is your love language, we would love to have you join the team of folks who signs up to provide meals. This is a super low impact uh, volunteer commitment. Many people um, you know, provide meals about once a year. It really is a do it as you are able. And if this sounds like you, if this sounds like the kind of ministry that you would want to be part of, you can message us your name and contact info in the chat this morning, or you can email me or Reverend Karen to get you connected. This is a simple but incredibly important way that we make tangible the love and interconnection that we know in our hearts. So friends, wherever you are watching or listening from, here we are together. So let's take a moment to find our shared breath. As you are able, I invite you to settle in and we will do this three breath practice together. We will take a deep breath in, deep inhale in, and then a slow exhale out through our mouths. We'll do this three times, all right? You ready? So here we go. Big inhale. Very slow exhale out. Good morning, friends. I'm Lauren Wyeth, Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministries at First Universalist Church. And today, this morning, I want to share one of my sacred texts with you. And it may surprise you a little what I'm about to show you, but this is it. This is a book that is one of my sacred texts. It's by Jack Kent, and it's called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. And I ran upon across this book many years ago, I'm going to say maybe 15 years ago, when I had small children, I had two little ones who loved all things about dragons. So anytime we went anywhere that there were books, we were always looking for books about dragons. And we found this one in the library one day and we brought it home. And my kids love the story so much. And so do I. There's something very wise in these pages that I want to share with you this morning. And this is um, how the story goes. In the story, there's a little boy named Billy. And Billy wakes up one morning to something very surprising and unexpected, which is on his bed, there is a dragon. He wakes up, there's a dragon, there's no explanation. And he doesn't know how it got there or anything about it, but it looks friendly. So he pats it on the head and it wags its tail and he's pretty delighted. He goes downstairs to um, tell his mom what has happened. And his mom says, oh, Billy, there's no such thing as a dragon. So Billy goes back upstairs and he gets ready for the day. He puts on his clothes and he comes back downstairs for breakfast. And when he does, 
the dragon follows him. And the dragon, it seems, has started to grow. Not at the rate that you would expect something to grow. It has gotten considerably bigger just in this short period of time. And when Billy sits down to breakfast, the dragon hops up on the table and it's pretty big at this point. It eats his pancakes. He's not happy about this. Normally his mother would not be happy about there being a dragon on the table either, but she has already said there's no such thing as a dragon. So she can't really say anything about this. Well, as the morning wears on, the dragon just continues to grow. It gets bigger and bigger. And finally it's to this stage where it's like, kind of taking up a lot of room in their house. And it's so big eventually that it fills the entire house. And at this point in the story, a little bread or a, a bread truck goes by and the dragon decides it's hungry. So it gets up to chase after the bread truck. And you can imagine what happens. It carries the house. It carries the whole house on its back after the bread truck with Billy and his mom in the house going along for the ride. Now we're still not allowed to talk about the fact that there's a dragon, but clearly this dragon exists, right? Eventually, Billy's dad comes home and he gets into the house by hilariously walking up the neck of the dragon. And he says, hey, you know, like, what's going on here? To which Billy says, it was the dragon. And to which Billy's mom says, unhelpfully, there's no such thing as a dragon. Well, Billy at this point has had enough. And he goes, there is no such thing as a dragon. And it's a really big dragon too. And he pets the dragon on the head. And this is the part of the story where um, this becomes my sacred text. Because when Billy pats that dragon on the head and insists that it exists, it starts to get smaller. And it gets smaller even faster than it got large until it's about the size of a kitten. And we learn that a dragon that's about the size of a kitten isn't really so bad. Billy's mom says, I don't really mind dragons this size. I just don't understand why it had to get so big. And Billy, in his, all his wisdom says, I think it just wanted to be noticed. I think it just wanted to be noticed. Mm, this book is very wise. Now, I'll bet lots of us have stories about things that have happened or that are going on in our lives that we wish weren't happening or that we don't feel super comfortable talking about. So we decide we're just gonna try to ignore them. And it's possible that you might also have a story from your life about a time when something was happening that wasn't great that you did wanna talk about and you got the message from someone or from the people around you that it wasn't okay to talk about it. If that has happened to you, I'm really sorry because not talking about it tends to make the trouble worse and bigger and harder to manage and harder to ignore. I'm sad if that happened. Many of us also have these stories that go differently though, right? Like Billy's did, a story that ends, wow, 
where we decide to tell the truth about what's going on. And there's somebody there who's willing to hear it, who's willing to listen. And what happens, often what happens in those situations is that things tend to get better. They tend to become more manageable when we talk about them. They become what we might call right-sized. This story is a beautiful reminder of that. Billy, Billy's journey is one that we probably all can relate to on some level. And he's right. Some dragons are real, right? There is such thing as a dragon. And here at our church, we try to be brave in talking about the truth, in saying what we know to be true, even when it's hard, even when it's inconvenient, even when we might get some pushback on that. So I hope that that's something that you're able to do in your own life. I hope that that's something we strive to do together. I was invited to a party by Matsuo Basho. Stretching by force the wrinkles of my coat, I started out on a walk to a snow viewing party. Deep as the snow is, let me go as far as I can till I stumble and fall, viewing the white landscapes. It is so good to be with you all this morning. Speaking the truth in love. A story about dragons and saying what's true. A poem and music that shares the essence of a moment and brings us into it, brings us into that truth of viewing the white landscape. 
the joys and the sorrows shared in our prayer this morning. The truth of what's happening here in our congregation and around the world. Friends, we have already traveled the wide terrain of truth this morning, just as we have traveled a wide terrain of truth this month. We've wondered if the truth is broken. We've reflected on the truth of call and listening to the inner truth of our hearts where love is calling us. We have shared and deepened into the truth of grief, the grief that we carry and the grief that is all around us. What feels true to me in, in this moment is that in all of this, there is a through line, there is a thread, if you will, a thread that we follow that connects all of these truths, big and small, intimate and abstract, and that, and that truth is that to perceive what is true, we need to show up for it. We need to be present for it. That if the truth is happening anywhere, the only where it can happen is right here. The only when that it can happen is right now. And so I want to invite you into a practice. As you heard in Franco's reading and music, as you heard too in Lauren's story, as you heard in Karen's prayer, this morning is about the truth of the present moment, the truth of now. So I'm starting this homily by sharing a little entry into the present moment practice that uses your senses as the vehicle for coming into now. We use our senses because they are a direct connection to what we are experiencing and our experience is happening right now. So I invite you to do this practice with me. You can do it now, knowing that you can also do this later. You can return to it over and over again in the weeks and the months to come. I also ask you to do what's right for you. Trust yourself. Don't go places that aren't safe. Take the care that you need. And before we move into this practice, let me say one more thing. This is a time when you might wanna take a little space from the Zoom device that you're on. This is a, a pushback moment, if you will, push back from Zoom. Uh, this is something that I learned from attending a retreat with the Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, and I love it, right? Like, we don't have to be up in our computers or phones or devices to experience the Zoom service. We can let the sounds come in while we let ourselves inhabit the larger space that we're in. So if you feel comfortable doing so, just push the device off to the side so you can still hear it. You're not going to miss much. And settle in. Get comfortable. Take a deep breath. And let it out. And if you have some wiggles in you, can kind of shake your arms, shake your body, just get the wiggles out a little bit and then settle back in. Take another breath. Choose a sense gate that is most available to you right now. It might be sight, it might be smell, it might be sound, it might be touch, 
whatever it is, whatever is most available. Rest in the experience of the sense that is, that is most predominant. Let that experience, let that sense fill your being. Give it all of your attention, but see if you can let your attention be gentle. This is not something that you are aiming or holding tightly. Just let that sense experience be big in you. Let it grow. And as you do this, notice what's true right now. Your sense, your experience may be sharp, may be dull. It might come in and out of clarity. However it is, it is just as it should be. Thoughts might come and go. Feelings too. Both may leave and return. Other senses might intrude. As we open to the truth of now, we might be surprised by how many things call for our attention in every moment. Whatever it is that's happening, know that this is just as it should be. Trust yourself to know what's right. And now, if it feels right, let your mind and your heart rest. Let your attention rest where it desires. Don't do anything. Just rest. Just allow your experience to be. You can stay here for as long as it's comfortable. Noticing what's here in this moment then letting it go, knowing you can always begin again. It might seem obvious that the truth happens in the present, that we need to be present to perceive what's true. My experience is that for myself, and perhaps you have this experience too, that despite my best intentions to be present, even with my daily meditation practice, I still spend a lot of time everywhere else but here, anywhere else but now. Let me share an example. I went to the gym earlier this week it's my happy place. It is a place where I can let go of everything and just be present in my body, just be present in the moment, or so I thought. So that day I finished my workout, I changed my shoes, I put on my coat and walked out doing that little strut that you do when you're feeling good, you know what I'm talking about. Confidently walked out the door, 
blithely discarded the paper mask I was wearing because I didn't have a cloth one with me. I took five more steps and then stopped cold as I realized that I didn't have my wallet or car keys and that I had just discarded the only mask I had. The mask that I needed to wear in order to make the long walk down the hall past the check-in desk and over to the spot that held the locker that held my keys. I turned thinking, well, maybe I could retrieve the mask out of the garbage only to see someone else dump a whole bunch of garbage in on top of what had been my mask. And so taking stock of the situation that I was in, I did the only thing that I could think of. I pulled the collar of my t-shirt up and over my nose and mouth and held it there and prepared myself for the embarrassment of walking down the hall in this sorry state. See, when you pull your shirt up over your face and you're carrying a backpack, it inevitably requires contorting your shoulders and arms up. I am quite sure I looked ridiculous. I am pretty sure that I looked like a strange turtle, a sense that was confirmed moments later as I walked down the hall. There was, of course, a blood drive going on that day at the gym, so there were more people there than usual to witness this. And so I walk down the hall trying to be as invisible as I can be. And let me tell you, brown people in Minnesota are never invisible. And the kind Red Cross volunteer asked very sweetly if I needed a mask at the same time as the gym staff person looked up inquiringly wondering what this guy was doing walking around with his shirt over his nose. And my reply, no. I just forgot my wallet and keys and just happened to throw out my mask. We all laughed. I mean, what else can you do? Life is ridiculous sometimes. But friends, here's what really tickled me after I had retrieved my stuff and regained my composure outside. I had been spaced out and not paying attention because while I was putting on my shoes and coat, while I was leaving the gym, I was thinking about none other than this very homily. You know, the one about paying attention and being present. It was a total pastor fail. I imagine that you've had experiences like this too. Times when your mind was elsewhere while doing something. Perhaps it was driving or walking somewhere you go off and arriving to realize you have almost no memory of the journey. Or maybe you got to a place in your house or your apartment or your office, quite certain you were going there for a reason only to arrive with no idea why you're there. Like what, what was I, I was gonna ask you, you've, you've had experiences like this, right? I mean, it sounds terrible when I say this out loud, but my experience is that it is breathtakingly easy for me to sleepwalk through major parts of my life. Maybe this resonates for you too. The meditation teacher and philosopher Sam Harris knows something about being present for our lives. In a beautiful little teaching called The Last Time, 
And we've uh, linked to this in our, our order of service in a beautiful little teaching called The Last Time. He invites us to be present for our lives through awareness of the things in life that we will experience for the last time. As he points out, long before we die, we will stop having a vast range of experiences that oftentimes we tend to take for granted. Whether as a parent, it's the last time we pick up our child, or the last time we eat a hard to find but favorite food, or the last time we run or swim or bike, or stare at the waves of a beloved body of water. His teaching invites us to know deeply this truth, that it is alarmingly easy to do things for the last time without knowing it. And we're invited into this knowledge so that we can endeavor to more fully inhabit the preciousness of each moment, even the unpleasant ones, because all of it is limited in duration. And like everything else, it will end. I encountered this teaching last year when I went on my little quarantine retreat, and so it has been with me ever since. Since hearing it, I found myself wondering what the other side of this pandemic would be like. I couldn't help but wonder if my favorite coffee shop would reopen or if I had already experienced a last time in that place. I couldn't help but wonder if we would hold hands in church again had I already experienced for the last time the many things that make my life my life, at least as I know it. This teaching invited me over this last year to pay more attention to what's happening right now, or at least to try to, to try to be more attentive to what was happening in case it was the last time. It turns out this teaching caught me at the right time. You see, over this last year, one of our kids stopped wanting to be tucked in at night. And because of this teaching, I tried really hard to show up more fully for the interactions that I was having with my wife, my kids, others that I love. I tried to pay more attention to these moments, whether it was sitting at the dinner table together, tucking in my kid, or those rare moments we're able to cram together on the couch to watch a movie. But here's the thing. Even with my daily meditation practice, even with the fact that I was primed to be paying attention, I still didn't really catch that last time that I tucked in one of our kids as an everyday kind of thing. It took me a week or so before I realized what had shifted. I remember saying to my wife that day last week when I tucked her in, that was it think. These teachings, these practices, they invite us to be more present, to be here now more often so that we might more fully live this one wild and precious life. They ask us to be present here and now because the only place that truth happens is here in the present moment. My experience of this moment may be good, it may be bad, it may be neutral, but what is for sure is that this moment will never happen again. And that I have a finite number of moments in this life. The truth of now is that every moment is precious and that some things will end and we won't know that they've ended until later. And here's why this matters. 
Friends, here at this church, each of us in our own way commits to pursue a path of waking up, of being more aware and more present to the moments in our lives and to each other. They're related, right? Your awakening might be through joining our justice work. It might be working to shift cultures of white supremacy, transphobia, sexism, the many manifestations of oppression in the world. You might come alive through joining the congregational care team, offering a listening ear, an open heart, cooking meals, helping someone navigate state bureaucracy for all kinds of resources they need. It might be through adding your voice to the choir. You may wake up through your work with our youth. We commit to these paths that help us to be more fully awake because we know that the world needs our fullest selves and that we cannot do it alone. The path of awakening is not only an individual one, it is a collective one. And so friends, wherever your ministry takes root, and to quote a favorite Buddhist blessing of mine, may we together realize the path of awakening and never stop making effort for the benefit of others. May it be so, amen. And please join me in receiving this blessing from the children and youth of First Universalist. You got a light, a light inside you. Go on your way in peace. So shine that light, the light inside you. Go on your way in peace. The world is waiting for the hope of another dish. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.